0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is going to take turns you couldn't predict even if a celebrity guest made an appearance. Small talk makes my teeth itch, so let's dive in. Bogle was described as someone who lit up a room, whose smile was infectious, and whose purpose in life was to pick up other people when they were down, basically all the wonderful things that people say in the beginning of every Dateline episode. None of these words would be used to describe me. They'd be like she was brutally honest, she was gassy and unafraid, and she liked to sleep in on weekends. But this isn't about me. Heather was a doting mother to her five year old daughter, Mackenzie, and a loving daughter to her mother, Renee, who was always there for her anytime she needed it. Being a single mother, Heather needed all the help she could get, and when she worked the evening shift at the Whirlpool factory in Clyde, Ohio, her mother would take her daughter, Mackenzie, to school. When she would clock out a little after 6 a.m., she'd go home, get some rest, and wake up in time to pick up Mackenzie and spend some time with her before bed, and then she would head off again for another night shift. Whatever she could do to spend the most time with her daughter, she did it. But on April 9, 2015, Heather finished her normal shift at Whirlpool, clocked out at 6.17 a.m., and was never seen or heard from again. That afternoon, Mackenzie waited for her mom to pick her up from school, but she never came. Eventually, they called her emergency contacts, and Renee was told that Heather had never showed up to pick up her daughter. Renee called and texted Heather, asking who was supposed to be picking up Mackenzie, because certainly she didn't just not show up for no reason, but she got no response. Heather's sister Jennifer tells Dateline that this was the moment she knew something was very seriously wrong. Heather's entire life revolved around her daughter. She wouldn't not pick her daughter up from school, and she certainly wouldn't ignore people trying to contact her about it. But without any word from Heather, Renee headed over to Mackenzie's school to pick her up and then immediately reported Heather missing. The first bolo, or be on the lookout, was sent about her vehicle. Her car was very distinctive, and I'm talking you see it and you say something kind of distinctive. It's a 2003 dark green Alero, but the front passenger side panel is burgundy. To make it even more unique, the Toledo Blade notes that the front bumper is blue and there's a tribal sticker across the back window. It's the equivalent of walking past someone shaking maracas. You don't forget it. While they wait for any tips, police searched the Whirlpool factory, local bars, and even her ex-boyfriend's houses for her car, but didn't find any trace of it anywhere. But just a little more than 24 hours after she was last seen, Heather's Rainbow Valero was found sitting in the parking lot of the Summerton Apartments, just a four-minute drive less than a mile from that Whirlpool factory she clocked out of Thursday morning. Two men who live at the complex told the Sandusky Register that they think her car had been there for at least a day. On the evening of April 10th, the police start to comb through Heather's car, hoping to find any clues as to where she might be. But when they open the trunk, they're stopped in their tracks. There in the trunk of her very own car was Heather Bogle dead. She had been brutally beaten with a blunt object over her entire body. And when that wasn't enough, she was shot twice in the back. The Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation is called in to assist the Sandusky Sheriff's Department, who only has 14 officers, one of whom is the chief himself. The last two homicides that took place in Clyde, Ohio, were in 2010 and 1999. This is a rare occurrence for this small community, and they are shook. On April 14th, police release a statement saying that they don't believe Heather was killed where she was found. They believe she was killed somewhere else, stuffed into her own trunk, and then driven to the apartment complex and dumped. Without knowing how they came to this conclusion because they didn't share it, we can make a few educated guesses. Blunt force trauma and gunshot wounds are going to leave significant spatter. And of course, gunshots are going to leave bullet holes. So if there's a lack of blood spatter in the vehicle or trunk and a lack of bullet holes, it probably happened somewhere else. Also, both of these injuries are going to come with significant bleeding. If there's a lack of expected blood pooling in the vehicle, there's a good chance she bled somewhere else and was placed there. We don't know the position her body was found in, but if it wasn't consistent with the shape of the trunk, rigor mortis may have set in elsewhere prior to her being moved to the trunk. We also don't know about Heather's state of liver mortis when found. Liver mortis is the gravitational pooling of blood within the body after death, something some of you may remember from the Christian Andreacchio and Annie McCann cases. Whichever parts of the body are facing downward will turn a pink, red, or purple color. Say she was laying on her left side in the trunk, but had liver mortis on her right side, it would indicate that she had died on her right side, was there for some time, and then moved into the trunk and placed on her left side. But enough of the forensic anthropology lesson, though I do think I should get two cents for using such fancy words. Anywho, police execute a search warrant in the Somerton apartment complex after going through Heather's phone records and finding that she was known to recreationally smoke weed and that she may have been going there to buy some on her way home. However, they're tight lipped about what they did or did not find during the search. Another location is served with a warrant, but we don't know where or why at this point. We do, however, learn that the driver who parked Heather's car in the apartment complex parking lot ditched the car at 1.30 a.m. on Friday morning, meaning that he had Heather for around 19 hours before disposing of her body. They then believe the driver got out of her vehicle and ran through some backyards, then hopped in a white SUV that was parked on another street and drove away. Police say they currently have several persons of interest and offer $5,000 for any information leading to the identification of the person or persons responsible for Heather's brutal murder. On April 22nd, the Sheriff's Department makes a statement that they're making progress in Heather's case, that they've got a few prominent names, and the more people they interview, the more they're narrowing down who they believe was involved in the gruesome murder. They say they've gone from a half dozen persons of interest to a select few and feel like there will be an arrest coming soon. Now, this gave people a lot of hope, but then everything went silent. In fact, when the Sandusky Register called the detective overseeing the case looking for any update, they were hung up on. A law enforcement catfight ensues when the Sheriff's Department basically told the two Clyde police officers on the case that they were no longer needed nor welcome. From what I understand, they were booted after making the comment that the case might be coming to a conclusion soon. But just two days after the police versus sheriff's pissing match, a search warrant is issued for a home on Bidwell Avenue in Fremont. The Fremont News Messenger reports that police gathered enough information through the investigation to lead them to believe that this house is the scene of the crime. That the house on Bidwell Avenue is where Heather Bogle was brutally beaten and shot to death before being stuffed into her own trunk and dumped in a parking lot to be found by anyone. While at the house, a forensic camera is set up and photos are taken, and police are seen carrying boxes and bags of potential evidence back to their vehicles. The website also noted two women and a small child who were at the house at the time the search was executed. One of them was taken in for questioning, but was brought back just a little while later. ABC 13 gets a hold of one of the women in the house named Catherine. Catherine says that she's never met Heather and her name will be cleared. They also interview Catherine's neighbor who refers to her as her cousin's baby mother and says that the fact that she might have something to do with Heather's murder is crazy. The second woman who was at the house at the time actually lives in the Somerton Apartments. Her name is Kiana and tells the Fremont News Messenger that she's been questioned three times already, but has yet to be charged with anything. Naturally, she has already hired an attorney. To add a cherry on top of her statement, she as well says that she has never once met Heather Bogle. But in a plot twist, a third person is added to the pool of people being looked into. His name is Omar, and he's actually currently in jail for theft and having a weapon while on probation. The authorities believe that that weapon may be tied to Heather's murder. Omar is being held on a $100,000 bond, but if he bonded out, he'd just be facing another parole violation charge out of Michigan. So I doubt that's going to happen unless he feels like blowing 10 grand. On June 10th, Heather's autopsy results are released and it indicates that Heather had recently smoked weed prior to her death, which makes sense since we know her cell phone data indicated that she might have been heading to the Somerton Apartments to buy some. And while they've had persons of interest since almost day one in September, lead detective Sean O'Connell tells ABC 13 that the evidence in the case has escalated to the point of the two original persons of interest being upgraded to official suspects. And that's a big difference. difference, that's the difference between you may know something to we think you did it. The suspects are named as Kiana and Omar. This removes Catherine from the playing field altogether. Remember, Kiana is the one who lives in the apartment complex that Heather was found at and is friends with the woman who rents the home they believe Heather was killed in. Omar is the man in jail on a weapons charge, and he's actually named as the prime suspect in Heather's murder. He came in last, but he came in hot. Detective O'Connell also tells ABC 13 that he believes he knows the motive, but won't comment on it at this time, but then nothing happens. Not in September, not in October, not even in December or January, or even February. As of the end of March of 2016, almost an entire year after Heather was beaten and shot to death, a whole zero charges have been filed. Though authorities insist that their suspects have not changed. The only real update is that Omar reached out to a local news agency, WTOL 11, and in a letter insisted on his innocence. And as much as I hate to say it, we hit the one year mark with absolutely no movement. On April 9th, 2016, the saddest vigil is held in Heather's honor and her now six-year-old daughter Mackenzie stood at the front of the crowd holding a single candle in honor of her mother who has yet to see any justice. We learn kind of offhandedly that Kiana was arrested at some point on unrelated charges and that both suspects are currently in jail, but not on any charges relating to Heather Bogle. Just a few weeks later, a bomb is dropped in this case. And no, it's not in the form of charges. Instead, law enforcement adds yet another suspect to the pool. 26-year-old Carrie. Who the fuck is Carrie and where did he come from? We may literally never know because time continues to tick and talk its ass off and two months later NBC shocks the world by telling us that no, no suspects have been charged but lead detective Sean O'Connell has been placed on leave due to allegations of workplace misconduct among other things and it's almost all in connection to his handling of Heather's case. Heather's family made complaints about him refusing to interview potential suspects and he allegedly gave them false information about where they were at in the case. Imagine where this investigation might be if him and his buddies hadn't kicked all the police officers off the case. In a dose of irony, just prior to being placed on leave, O'Connell reached out for help. Yeah, the guy who fired the previous help. But not to the police department, whom he'd blown off earlier in the investigation. This time, he went to the attorney general's office for assistance. I've never seen a case with so much drama between deputies and officers, and it's not about to get any better. The AG's office did, in fact, take the case, but not for long. By January of 2017, yes, 2017... The Sandusky Register announces that the sheriff's department has taken the case back from state investigators and made a statement that they're now lead on the case with the assistance from the BCI. The general consensus of this small community is that the case has been botched, and I don't think anyone disagrees at this point. But hopefully with a new sheriff in town, literally the newly elected sheriff Chris Hilton, maybe this will stop being a pissing contest and someone will start actually getting shit done. On May 31st of 2017, we're almost two years since Heather's murder, three raids take place in three different trailers in the Emerald Estates trailer park. The trailer park is only three miles from where she was found, less than three miles from where she was last seen alive. It turns out that in the two weeks prior to the raids, new information had come in, leading them to two specific trailers in the park, both of which belonged to, wait for it, a fucking Whirlpool employee. This new information happened to be electronic communications that no one had previously investigated. So the word they're looking for is old. Old information was found, which led them to this trailer park. What in the fucking botchery? In more news, Sheriff Hilton, who headed this raid, has removed any and all suspects from the case. What is happening? Everything we knew was a lie. But just four months into there being a new sheriff in town, it fucking happens. An arrest is made. 48-year-old Daniel fucking Myers is charged with aggravated murder, aggravated robbery, kidnapping, and tampering with evidence in connection to Heather Bogle's 2015 murder. Who the fuck is Daniel Myers? Not only did he live in one of the trailers they raided, but he also worked with Heather every single day at the Whirlpool factory. They literally worked on the same production line. This isn't some guy whose office she would pass every day and wave at. He was by her side from the minute she walked in until the minute she left. And Daniel's daughter gives no fucks. She told ABC 13 that if he did it, he deserves what he gets, that Heather's family deserves justice. That is my damn girl. Finally, someone related to a criminal who's like, fuck that asshole, send him to prison. She says that he's always been a violent man, and it turns out he's also a sex offender, so he's got that going for him, too. The ever so helpful Fremont News Messenger reports that upwards of 10 women came forward after Myers was arrested to say that he had also been violent with them and that they had been forcefully sexually assaulted by him. The mother of Daniel Meyer's son, Leanne Sluter, allegedly killed herself in 2009, in the back bedroom of that very trailer, shooting herself in the chest. Meyer's story was that he walked in and found Leanne dead on the bed with a gunshot wound to the chest and a rifle laying by her side. But Leanne didn't like guns, which is why she didn't own one and why she didn't even know how to load one. So tell me how in the fuck a woman with no gun training, loads it, has go-go gadget arms, long enough to fire a rifle backwards, shoots it, and then has it magically lay at her side afterward. Come on, we've been over this with Kurt Cobain. This shit does not happen. Okay, we haven't covered Kurt Cobain yet, but now I want to. Anyways, neighbors had their doubts that it was a suicide, and it looks like the sheriff's department might be taking a second look into her death as well. This is something I'm 100% invested in now, and I've contacted her family about it, and we will be doing an episode on her, so don't worry. But let's go back to Heather's case for now. Daniel has court the next day where he begs the judge to let his murderous ass go back to work at Whirlpool, the very place he picked his victim from, and home where his ex shot herself so he can go be the sole influence on a 12-year-old boy. It was a hard fucking pass. He got no bond. He did not get $200. He was sent straight to jail. On June 9th, 2017, a grand jury officially indicts Daniel Myers on two counts of aggravated murder. If convicted, this flaming pile of garbage could face the death penalty. He is cited as the sole suspect in Heather's murder. Uno. One. Only. Not Catherine. Not Kiana. Not Omar. Not Carrie. Only Daniel Myers. It turns out that Kiana's Only tie to Heather's murder at all was Detective Sean O'Connell, who is no longer a detective. He resigned shortly after being put on leave. According to the Sandusky Register, Kiana's baby daddy was appealing a drug conviction that Detective O'Connell had helped secure. And after one of his searches of Kiana's apartment, a copy of her baby daddy's appeal was neatly placed on her bed for her to find. What the fuck am I reading? I went from being so big mad at Kiana and the other imaginary suspects to being on fire fucking livid at the bullshittery being handed down by one Sean O'Connell. But there's about to be all sorts of justice up in this bitch. On December of 2017, a grand jury indicts Sean fucking O'Connell on multiple felonies of, you guessed it, tampering with evidence and it is all in connection to how he handled Heather's case. The Fremont News Messenger also reports that he's being charged with misdemeanor falsification, coercion, dereliction of a duty, which means he was involved in misconduct or illegal actions in connection with his official duties as an officer of the law, and obstruction. I would say that escalated quickly, but this has escalated so quickly so many times. Unfortunately, O'Connell is released without any bond and is expected to come to trial on his own recognizance on March 27th of 2018. Daniel Myers' trial isn't set to begin until May 7th of 2018, but is then delayed until September 4th and then again to October 27th, seriously almost two and a half years after killing Heather. On July 30th, O'Connell pleads guilty to tampering with evidence in a plea deal to drop the other charges. He is sentenced to two years in prison, which I'm sure will go well. I hear corrupt cops do fantastic in jail. In October, while the world waited for Daniel Myers to be served a heaping pile of hot justice, his trial is postponed indefinitely and a gag order is placed on the entire case file. And seriously, nobody knows why. In early November, the gag order is lifted, but the trial has yet to be rescheduled, so everyone is just in this weird legal limbo. But a few weeks later, we finally get a new date, March 4th of 2019. We are almost four years past Heather's murder at this point. I can't imagine being her family and going through these ups and downs for four whole excruciating years. But something interesting happens. While we're waiting for Meyer's trial to begin, he decides to change his plea. In February of 2019, he pleads guilty to the murder of Heather Bogle and is sentenced to life in prison without any possibility of parole, avoiding the death penalty. It took nearly four years for Justice to be served for Heather, and it came in more than one way. It came in the way of punishing the man who stood between Heather and Justice and in the way of punishing the man who stole her life from her. Heather Bogle can now rest in peace and her family can find some comfort in knowing that they fought for her until they got what they knew she deserved. For any and all photos pertaining to Heather's case, check out her highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the TheHeatherAshley. And join me tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern for Crime Talk Live, where you go live with me and we talk about all the ups and downs and mind-blowing twists and turns in this case. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for our first blooper reel if you like your podcast ad free check out our patreon at patreon.com big mad true crime where for one whole dollar a month all of your episodes are ad free and if four episodes a month just isn't enough for you for five dollars a month you get a bonus episode exclusive only to patreon members on the first monday of each month this month's exclusive episode was on aaron hernandez i'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today and i cannot wait but until then We out. But without any word from Heather, this new information happened. If there's a lack of expected, I'm going to try it again. Okay, UPS truck, you're so fucking loud. Pass, pass, pass. Unless you're giving me a present, which you're not, so go fuck yourself. by. In Heather's murder, bluh, with his bluh. Oh boy. Okay, the Fremont. Knew, bleh. I would say that escalated quickly. Bleh. Excuse me. I would say that escalated quick. Bleh. oh Oh. Mm. and while they've had persons of entrance, bleh, the suspect, mm. but something interesting happens while we're waiting for my, yeah. but something interesting happens while we're waiting for Myers. Try, bleh, I'm out of breath. <sighs> my heart rate is 137.